0: welcome back to esther the unseen sovereign we're rounding the corner we have two more weeks and then we move right into easter so it's good to have you here this morning if you're new uh, everything's online as it's already been said you can catch up that way Uh, if you've missed a week you can catch up that way so we're thankful that we have that uh, vehicle to uh, hear past messages so uh, i would imagine some of you if you've read a little bit ahead are excited about today Because finally, Hammond's going to get it. Some of you actually are like happy that Hammond's going to get hanged. That's not very nice. But that's what's going to happen today. So we're going to get moving in on that. Uh, We've seen uh, in chapter 5 that Hammond's on top of the world. Everything is clicking. Everything is wonderful except for that joy stealer, Mordecai. He's the only guy that won't take a knee. He's the only guy that won't salute Hammond's greatness. Hammond's risen to number two spot. Uh, he's had dinner with the queen and the king, just them, and so this is a big deal. And, uh, you know, again, uh, he's just riding high. He's very excited about life and what's going to happen, and uh, he doesn't know what a difference a day is really going to make. Uh, we see uh, in verse 14, he's got a wonderful wife, a wonderful family, a wonderful kids, uh, wonderful friends, and He's explaining how Mordecai gets under his skin, and his wonderful wife, Zerah, says, and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up, reaching to a height of 50 cubits. That's about 75 feet, so everybody can see what happens to someone who doesn't salute Mordecai. And ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted him, and, and he had the pole set up and you may remember that that all unfolds uh, sleepless in Sousa last week and uh, we find out that uh, things are starting to get a little shaky and you know all of us have been in those situations where one day things are one way and next day things are another day a lot of that is in motion but uh, some days a difference a make a day makes is wonderful or not so good And living in upstate New York, we're experiencing this right now. The difference a day makes. Parents wonder what in the world I did by talking them into moving to New York and this weather. Uh, three or four weeks ago it was 70 on Sunday, and I think tomorrow it's going to be in the teens. So, welcome to New York. What a difference a day can make. And all of us have experienced that. Good day, then bad day. Bad day, then good day. And sometimes we just aren't, ob- we're oblivious to what's going on around us, or we, in a sense, are uh, just a little overconfident. And uh, Solomon reminds us of our response to what's going around us. He says, don't brashly announce what you're going to do tomorrow. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. Don't call attention to yourself. Let others do that for you. And we see that uh, this really describes Hammond. Hammond is not into reading uh, Proverbs and the wisdom from Solomon. And so if he had read this, if he had known that, that might have changed his perspective on life. And we have to ask ourselves, are are we into that sink? Are we realizing that uh, uh, we should not be overly confident about tomorrow? It doesn't mean we don't trust God. It just knows that there is this unseen sovereign with his fingerprints all behind the scenes. Sometimes it's really obvious, and sometimes it's like the life that Esther's living and quite frankly, that's the life most of us live. Most of us aren't having parting of the Red Sea experiences here and there. We're having everyday life, but God's fingerprints are on our days. Uh, We need to realize, and again, Hammond obviously doesn't get this, but we need to realize that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So no matter where you're at this morning, uh, where you're journey is. Maybe you're just checking things out, uh, kicking the tires, if you will. Uh, Maybe uh, you've been a person of faith for a little while or maybe a long while. Uh, We continually need to be reminded that the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, how to look at our world uh, begins with the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, the understanding that yes, God is our friend, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. Some must remember that song. But he's also Lord God Almighty, and that's intention. We need to realize that he is the creator of all, so we need to understand those things. So as we continue to uh, look at Haman, Esther, Mordecai, and Xerxes, and all that's unfolding, uh, a little bit of the story reminds me of this as we are looking at what a difference a day makes. Uh, This great theologian, I think, is going to help us to understand uh, what is going on. Well, the roadrunner the roadrunner or uh, the wild coyote is always trying to set a trap for the roadrunner and he sets these fantastic well thought out maybe traps and he seems to always become the victim of his own traps and that's what we're seeing happen with hammond he's going to become a victim of his own craftiness uh, sometimes we become the victim of our own craftiness uh, sometimes we think somebody at uh, the office isn't deserving of the next promotion and we kind of put a little vibe out there so that uh, uh, maybe people will be aware of that and that person doesn't get the promotion because we think we deserve it and all of a sudden we signed ourselves following it into that trap maybe it's in relationships uh, remember a lot of this stuff going on in middle school and high school, right uh, you know at each other, you know all this kind of stuff and someone would kind of try to put someone else down when they weren't around and think that that would kind of unravel their their influence or their popularity and it sometimes would do just quite the opposite and then uh, as we grow up sad to say, we discovered that those middle school High school attitudes kind of come right along with us. And we find them in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, 60s, and so on. And uh, we try to set something up for somebody else. And it ends up being our trap. Uh, In Job, we read this. God catches the wise in their craftiness. And the schemes of the wily are swept away. And uh, we need to remember that. There's other passages that talk about. You know, when you when you've experienced some injustice and you, in a sense, want to get that person back or you personally want to make it right, there's a time where you just let leave that in God's hands and let God take care of that. And uh, we see that uh, Haman is just totally doesn't doesn't understand that, doesn't know that. So as we look at uh, chapter uh, seven, I'm going to start off in verse fourteen. Uh, we're going to slowly see three sections three movements through the story and the first one we're going to look at is the big reveal and uh, we see esther moving towards this we see her doing some things at first we might think that she's just a pretty face we've heard that all along but we also realize that she's pretty shrewd also she's got a lot of wisdom she's got a lot of strategy going on here And uh, there's a lot of things in her mind going behind the scenes that she's trying to do things right. So when it's her moment, she is ready. And uh, that reminds me of this show. I'm just a little too familiar with these two people, Aaron and uh, Ben Naper. I can't even say their names, but I'm familiar with them, right? (laughs) But uh, I've seen a lot of these little shows. No, this was an inherited house. There's no purchase price. Like, all, right, all-in yeah. budget would be for renovations. It's goes a lot further than 70 which exactly. is kind of like what you had to work with with other houses. It's a good screen door. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Whoa. As you can see, it definitely needs some work. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it looks so good. <laughs> you love it? Oh, I love it so much. Look at it. That is like a different house, Look at house, that front though. porch. You got a front porch? Yeah. It is a huge transformation. Wow, huh? A lot of strategy went on to get to that place, a lot of planning, a lot of thinking things through. And again, we see that Esther is a thinker. She understands when we first started looking at her life and saw when she went to the king that first time, she put on the royal robes to remind him that she is his chosen queen. And if we go all back to the beginning of the story, we see that there was some intrigue where the first queen gets bumped. And again, you can go listen to that another time. But she's now the queen and she wants to remind it that she is the queen and she is an extension in a sense of his rule. If you go after the queen, you're going after him. And uh, it's very clear. So she's thinking about all these things. And so let's uh, start uh, back at verse uh, 14, last verse of chapter six, page 347 in that little rack Bible. And if you want a paper copy, please feel free to take that as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also encourage you to download YouVersion, the Bible app. It's free and it's just really helpful. It's helpful for reading the Bible. It's helpful for reading plans and on and on. It's great that that's a that's a gift from Life Church. They put all the work into. Producing that over the years, and they continue to update it and they make it free to anybody who wants it. So we thank them for that. So we get the big reveal. Verse 14. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Hammond away to the banquet Esther had prepared. So the king, as things are starting to get a little shaky, maybe things are unraveling. So the king and Hammond went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? Petition, It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. We see him saying this often. We see this as being an expression of just, I feel generous. You ask something, and I want to grant it to you. The queen answered, if I have found favor with you, he, she obviously has, Your Majesty, and it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. And obviously, the king is going to start to try to go, What is going on here? Have you ever been in one of those conversations where all of a sudden somebody proposes something and we're hearing it and we're going, Did I actually hear that right? Am I really getting what they're saying? For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Now, now we need to remember, King Xerxes isn't a man of character. He's a self-serving person. So if genocide, if something bad is going to happen and it's going to hurt a group of people, that really doesn't matter to him. He's been a part of that before. Even as we watch what's going on in the news uh, when it comes to Putin, it doesn't seem like you know, you're hurting people, so would you please stop out of the kindness of your heart? That's not about the deal there. The same was true with Xerxes. Uh, he is not concerned about that. But again, Esther being an extension of who he is is important. King Xerxes asked the queen, uh, Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Again, this is a direct attack on the king. And so he is uh, very agitated. He is ready to go into action. It's interesting. You and I can put the pieces together. You would think Xerxes would put the pieces together, uh, but but he doesn't. Esther says, an adversary and an enemy, this vile Haman, can you imagine he's drinking his wine, He's like, oh, oh, you know, what is going on? Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. You know, it's interesting, again, Esther has been patient, she's been quiet, she's known when to speak, when not to. Proverbs, again, reminds us, through patience. A ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. And Esther has really thought this out. Second meal, not first meal. Just, again, how she is doing this. You notice the words she's using. It's very interesting. She's putting this blame on Haman. It would be very easy for her to put the blame, and let a little spill off on her husband, the king, but she's not doing that because the king actually signed things in. The king is an unaware ruler. He's all over the place. Uh, he doesn't think through some of these things. He just, it's about him. It's about everyone in a sense of worshiping him. Remember, he has this unbelievably big throne and all of that, so so she's got to be very careful with the words she chooses because Again, she's seen others, you know, be in big trouble because they haven't used the right word. Vashi, she's out, so she's really thinking this through. Uh, you and I, under the leading of God in our life, when we get into situations, we need to be very strategic, very patient. We've talked earlier weeks, our approach matters. Uh, and also, when we get to these situations and we see. It's gonna be uh, time for somebody else to get it and we feel they deserve it. We need to be a little cautious about taking too much pleasure, too much delight. I mean, most of us enjoy a movie where the the bully, the bad person gets it. And we're like, yes, finally. We just need to have a little bit of a softer spirit towards those things. Uh, Again, Proverbs, do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. For the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. We've we got to watch it. We can't take too much pleasure. We've got to remember that we're all sinners. We talked about being a crooked stick that God sometimes uses to make a straight line. So even uh, the, the hardest, most difficult people, we're not so far removed from their actions. We even talked about uh, Cam, and if, if you and I had the power he had to wield the finances, the influence, and all that, where would our boundary be? He has no boundaries, but our boundary in some ways is connected by, to our position in life, and these are in a sense, God made boundaries, so so we don't really know what we would do if we were given freedom to uh, control others, make others do things, make others you know lo- always looking our way. Uh, we kind of hope we would take the high ground. We hope we would use our power, our influence, our finances in a in a right way and leverage them to in a, such a way that. It points to God and his kindness. But we are not absolutely sure until you and I are in those situations. So watch out. When your adversary gets nailed, don't take too much pleasure in that. Again, in Ecclesiastes, we read, A time to be silent and a time to speak. Esther is thinking through this. Again, not just a pretty face, but a pretty shrewd, understanding person. You know, it's been five years since she's married the king. Uh, she's probably in her teenage years, so she's at the most maybe mid-20s, and she's thinking these things through. We go back to when Mordecai said what was going on. Remember, Esther was unaware. Esther was unaware that Haman had gotten permission, gotten the seal, the ring. He was unaware that uh, he had got this edict out, had been sent out across the uh, The empire that represents probably close to 10 million people. And uh, she's totally unaware of this. And so then Mordecai connects with her, approaches her. Uh, One of the servants gets in to tell her what's going on. And we remember Mordecai's words were this. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house... You're the one who will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else. I like his confidence. He realizes that God is going to deliver his people. He realizes the promises of the past. He understands that it's uncomfortable to be in that place. It's uncomfortable to, in a sense, put your to trust out there and to lean into it. But he is doing it the best he can. And he says, Esther, if you don't come through, uh, maybe God's put you in this place. But if you don't do it, God's still going to take care of us. Um, interesting, in just life in general, sometimes uh, you know we withdraw, we withdraw or we hold back helping or serving or doing this or doing that. And, uh, you know, it's not that that's never going to get done. God will make his purposes take place. You just don't get to be a part of it. And you don't get to involve in that. This is a great story. Esther steps in. If Esther hadn't, we wouldn't have the book of Esther. We wouldn't know about Esther in theory. So, so again, God's going to do his thing. And when he gives you an opportunity to be a part of it, don't hold back. Whether that's a big thing or a little thing, be a part of it. But you and your family will be wiped out. But who knows, maybe you are made queen for just such a time as this. What influence do you have? What financial resources do you have? What talents do you have? Abilities do you have? Time you have? Maybe God has given you all those things to use for something. Not just so you can be comfortable, not just so I can be comfortable. Maybe God has put those things in your hands to be a part of his story. And you have moments, you have opportunities to, to, to plug into that, or you can hold back. And the reality is, uh, we never do this perfectly. There's times where we hold back. But hopefully the majority of life, we're responding, we're stepping up. And this is a big deal with Esther, this is a big, you know, uh, headline news kind of a thing but she steps up and sometimes we have to ask ourselves, it's time to step up whatever that may be and again that's not to make you feel guilty that's not to put you down it's say to say don't miss out don't miss out don't miss out on all these resources and again it's just not money time ability just don't miss out join his story he's saying hey join my story be a part of my story be used by me uh, be able to look back five years from now and go wow that was great i i, I surrendered i said yes to jesus not just spiritually just not just not uh, into relationship with him but i said yes to him in this instance i followed through and wow Some of you have been on missions trips like that. Yeah, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. It's too much work and too much money. And all of a sudden you say yes. And now you're looking back on that three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. And and there's some great satisfaction because you stepped up when God called. Don't miss out on those opportunities. Um, Again, Esther has to be really wise in the way she approaches it, she needs to put all the spotlight on hammond and none of the spotlight on xerxes that's just the truth of the matter if xerxes gets too much spotlight who knows what he's going to do we're going to see that he's not really the most honest person he's going to create stories put a spin on the news so that it makes him look good and everybody else looks bad you may remember when uh Nathan called out David and said, you're the man. We go, wow, this this isn't that kind of situation. Esther can't do that. So we have this big reveal. Esther, she's Jewish. Um, You know, that's a big surprise. Probably been married, you know, four and a half, five years, and the king doesn't know that. Uh, So that also means that Esther has removed herself from Jewish practices and there's all kinds of things we could go back, dietary, worship, all these kinds of things, and she's removed herself enough from it that he doesn't know. We don't know if she's doing some things on the side or whatever, but he doesn't know. It would be like uh, waking up one day and discovering that you're, spouse was a Patriots fan, and you'd be like, what? I didn't know. I heard a mo- I heard a groan out there. You'd be like, what is this? You wouldn't know, and they kept their little banners in their pillow or something. You just didn't know, and all of a sudden, it's out there, and you're like, I can't believe this. This is what's going on for Xerxes. He has no idea, and now Xerxes wasn't a dummy, so I'm thinking he's all of a sudden realizing, wait a minute. Hammond, oh yeah. Decree, oh yeah. And then we see what happens next is that uh, there's a big eruption. He just explodes. Uh, Xerxes is all upset, and we don't really know what he's upset about or how he's going to be upset. I mean, we kind of have some ideas, but, again, this is Xerxes. We just don't know how he's going to respond and and what he's going to do. So the king got up in a rage and left his wine and went out. Into the palace garden, but Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Haman knew. Haman knew. Haman probably had seen this happen before. Someone crosses him. You go back to the days of Joseph. You remember the cupbearer and the um and uh, the baker and uh, the pharaoh. Didn't like either. Both throw end up in jail. One ends up getting killed. The other one gets restored. But this kind of thing, these are these kings. This is what they do. So Hammond knows it's curtains for him. He's, he's out. And uh, we go then, so why does the king go out into the balcony? Why does he go out into the garden in and, and, and a rage and, and think about those kinds of things? So he's out there doing something. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Guess a little bit on that. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Hammond was falling on the couch while Esther was reclining. You go, if you thought your life was going to be taken and you thought it was going to be taken in the most unpleasant way possible, you would be falling down, you would be trembling. Sometimes, I don't know about you, uh, you're driving around and you have a near miss. You kind of like aren't paying attention. You almost go off the road or something. You're one of those ditches, right? Or maybe you found the ditch, but you're like, whoa, and you're like a little shaky after something like that. This is like on steroids for him, and he is like, you know, color's gone, everything, and uh, he is just so uneasy, upset. Uh, so then he's falling where Esther's reclining, and the king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? Come on, Hammond is not going to do that. Hammond is not so confident that he says this is a great great moment to you know to to attack the queen. That is the last thing he's thinking about. He's not thinking about that, but again, Xerxes is looking at politics he's looking at power here is my vice president here's my second person in charge he's out on the garden. i think trying to figure out how do i take out hammond and how do i get my popularity to peak without losing it how do i you know i want i want the right twitter out there you know the right tweet you know this so what am i going to do and all of a sudden you know he comes in and things fall into place and Uh, Hammond falls, and he goes, aha, I get it. No one is going to think anything's wrong with me executing Hammond because he's attacking my wife. Problem solved. And as soon as those words left the king's mouth, they covered Hammond's face. It's a common practice in those days. When someone was marked for execution, they would cover their face. Um. you know he's done he's done and this is all falling into place again crooked crooked stick Xerxes making a straight line Esther stepping in stepping up following God's lead in her life. All the pieces are falling into place and she steps in and this is coming out. The arch enemy Hammond and we've talked about his history and talked about his lineage and other sermons. It's all coming together. Now before we move on, I just, well, just want to talk about a couple things because uh, uh, it's just kind of interesting. It seems to be there everywhere that they're drinking wine all the time. And it seems like when they're drinking wine, they're drinking too much wine, and often they make bad decisions. It's like they get as much wine in their system as they can, and then they make a decision. It goes all the way back to Queen Vashi. Remember, uh, they were toasted, if you will, and that's when the king said, Hey, let's bring in the queen and let's show her off. And, you know, there's some thought that she was just wearing a, a crown in her day, would have been a turbine with a turban with. Uh, Jewels in it and nothing else and let's parade her in front of the guys and so I could say look how good my queen looks and you know it's 15,000 guys not a good idea but again this all came out of drinking a little too much wine so what are you and I to do with those ideas today if we've said yes to Christ how do we uh, interact with that I mean we read in psalms wine that gladdens the human heart it's a positive idea even Paul tells Timothy stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness uh, so there's this idea that there's some there's some positivity then there's also these kinds of verses "Woe! who has woe? who has sorrow who has strife who has complaints who has needless bruises who has bloodshot eyes those who linger over wine who go to Uh, Sample bowls of mixed wine. goes on. Do not gaze at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on the top of the rigging. They will hit me, you'll say, but I'm not hurt. They will beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Two extremes. We don't have time to go into all of this. But you, as a Christ follower, need to consume alcohol responsibly if you feel so inclined. You really need to think that through. You think about the history of your family. You got to think about, uh, you know, what it says. Uh, obviously, you should never be controlled by alcohol. You need to know where that line is for you. Uh, some of us will say, you know, I don't know where that line is. That's not a part of my deal, so I'm just going to stay away from it. And that's fine. That's good for that person. And someone else says, I can, you know, I can be a part of that, and uh, I don't go past the line. And that's fine. But you've got to decide that. You've got to think that through. You've got to think what that has for your impact to your family doesn't have impact for your family. You need to understand that. You need to uh, be careful with that because in the wrong time, it can be dangerous. Again, we see this in this kingdom uh, that Xerxes leads, runs, oversees, controls, dictates. And then we see other situations where it's, it's a gift. It's a pleasure. It's fine. But you have to figure, you can't, you you need to come to a place. You need to bring that before the Lord. You need to say, I am yours, so everything in my life is yours. How do I participate, not participate? What do I do? When, when not? You need to think that all through and come up with a good answer for you. We're never to superimpose our matters of conscience on another person. When we do that, that's legalism. So whatever those kinds of things are, this is just one of those areas. Whatever your matter of conscience is, that's your choice before God. Remember, uh, we have freedoms in Christ, but then we also have not everything is, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. You need to figure that out because you will have ripple effects with the way you interact with this and other things. So don't be legalistic about these come to that place and you may find that it changes from time that's not that you're being all over the place it's maybe you have one understanding now and you're growing in your relationship with God and come to a different understanding later that that's totally understandable Uh, that's not you compromising one way the other way it's it's totally understandable but that's between you and your relationship with God but again you've got this tension in scriptures okay a blessing a happiness not okay. A controlling, destructive force. I, I can't give you that answer for yourself. You have to put those things on the table. So, uh, know know about that and figure that out. The last movement here is this big fall. Uh, we see then uh, this is all transpiring. Hood is over the head, and we see uh, one of uh, the eunuchs attending. Uh, Uh, Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to the height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. Saved his life, the king said, impale him on that. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. The king's fury subsided. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this story? What do we apply? What do we need to recognize? And some of these threads that we're going to talk about have been there all along. Just continue to pull them out. Continue to be reminded of them and see how they're going to hold up in our life. First of all, God is at work in events over which you have absolutely no control over. God is at work. God is using even tragedies to, to, to accomplish his will. Even though we can't put it, I can't get it in our head, why would God, in a sense, allow that to happen? Why does God do that? But we have to realize that absolutely no control. Um, even the fact that Esther is in the kingdom of Xerxes. Remember, it was because Jerusalem fell. And if you go back and look at the history, it was not a pleasant uh, invasion when Israel, when Jerusalem, uh, the southern kingdom fell. It was horrendous. We got the story of Daniel that comes up, right. Other stories, but God uses events that you and I have no control over them. So we need to realize that he can work without us. Uh, his plan is, is not on our responses he wants to use us but most of us in this room if we say no to god it's not like god's up in heaven going oh no plan b plan b yeah you know he's gonna do what he needs to do you and i can be a part of it or not he's gonna work without us and even when we're a part of his plan we need to realize even when god does use us success does not depend on us nor upon what we do he is using us, yes, but it's not in your actions. It's it's he takes what's happening and he he uses it. He rings out what he wants to ring out of it, but it's not on our success. That's why sometimes you can be willing to be used by him, and you're in this situation, and you say, Man, I botched that. And something positive comes out of that. I know, at least there's been once in my life where I've botched a sermon, maybe this sermon. All of a sudden, afterwards, someone comes up to me and says, that was the most unbelievable, blah, 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 and they're not just yanking my chain. They actually really mean it. I go, how did that happen? That was the worst sermon I ever gave. It's because God can use our lives regardless of our success. It doesn't depend on us. God has a plan. Remember we talked about being on a boat, point A to point B. We're on this boat. It's going from point A to point B. We have freedom on the boat, but the boat continues to move from point A to B. ...to point B. Also, God is at work... ...even when it feels like he's not present. Esther almost didn't make it... ...into the canon of scripture. Early folks said... ...there's no God mentioned in this. Luther had a problem with that. A lot of people had a problem with it. And then, no, no, this is God's fingerprints. This is the way God seems to work... ...on a regular basis. All those miracles, all those events... Those are unusual. He does that; they happen. But the, but for most of us, we live in a world like Esther, and uh, so uh, even when he feels like he's not present, we talk about this at Christmas time, moving from those four hundred years where nothing seems to happen till the birth of Christ, and we talk about you know even when God seems silent, He is not still. That kind of idea. Third, God is not necessarily endorsing people who seem to be successful or uninhibited. So something seems to be connecting and moving forward. It's not an endorsement of them. God is not endorsing Xerxes, the king. He's not saying, there's a great guy. He's not doing that. There are times where he isn't even endorsing Esther because, again, we've talked about how she got to where she got to. Uh, Again, we can't be judgmental because who could stand under that pressure? A teenage girl probably and all that, but that's not endorsing that, but God's still going to use crooked sticks to make straight lines. So don't get caught up with, wow, that person's succeeding over there. So that must mean their behavior, their actions are being approved of, not the case. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God, the presence of God. And then I understood their final destiny. It doesn't sound very pleasant, but when you and I are just going, this world is crazy. We see it from a distance or we see it up close and personal. And it just, it just it troubles us. How can this person do this? How can I personally experience this injustice? When we get into God's pl- presence, we realize that this moment in time is a drop in the bucket eternity is forever our life on this planet is short and we understand final destiny we fi- understand those who have said yes to christ those who have said no to christ we understand that there are two judgments and I, I can't get into all of that but there's a judgment for those that don't know christ and there's actually a reckoning and answering for those that do know christ that doesn't mean our actions earn ourselves in but we have to say what we've done with our life. We're responsible. We need to be a good steward. Steward, We read on, Surely you place them on a slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakens. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. And this really describes uh, what we see going on with Hammond. so what are you and i to do but don't take any of this granted it will all it was only yesterday that you were outsiders to god's ways had no idea of any of this didn't know the first thing about the way god works hadn't the faintest idea of christ you were without hope and without god in the world and so as we try to put a little bit of Capstone on these ideas we realize that no matter what is going on no matter what we look at we have hope because we know what eternity is for those who've said yes to Christ so my bottom line is uh, very powerful very uncommon what goes around comes around not a wow statement but a true statement, Uh, not a statement that gets reflected always in our lives. What goes around comes around. Paul said it much more eloquently when he said this. If you think you can fool God, you're only fooling yourself. You will harvest what you plant. You will harvest what you plant. So, my question to yourself, my question to me is, what am I planting? What am I planting? And I know a little bit about planting. My dad loves gardens. I have some friends who have big gardens. And they plant stuff. And it takes to be a little time before all of a sudden they have something to harvest. And the question is, what are you planting? Have you said yes to Christ? Uh, have you said, I want you in my life. I want forgiveness of sin. I want to follow you the best way I know how. And now I'm going to travel in that direction. I'm not going to do it perfectly, but that's the direction I'm going to travel in. So you've planted the seed. You've accepted salvation. So now you have this flowering tree, uh, um proverbs talk about a tree planted by uh, the water and it survives even when it's dry and has deep roots in those imagery so have you have you taken that step and said yes and now what are you doing with the rest of your life what are you planting what kind of seeds in a sense is god giving you and saying here's some seeds what are you going to do with those seeds are you going to plant them or are you gonna just let them sit in a little package I know my dad every once in a while gets very discouraged because he finds some seeds that never got planted. And then he takes a gamble to see if there's anything left in them, if they'll do something. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. There are moments where God puts these seeds in our hands and says, do something with them. And again, it's not so to get, it's not like God's like, if that doesn't happen, then it messes up my plan. I need this slot filled. He's not, no, no, no. He wants to give you an opportunity to be a part of his story. So what in the world are you investing your life in what goes around comes around might not be next week might not be next month but i can guarantee you in a hundred years you'll start to experience what goes around comes around let's pray father we just uh, thank you for your word we're thankful for the story of esther help us to learn but not just learn so we know what went on Help us to integrate just even a couple principles from her life. Uh, Father, we, we, we want to uh, sow wisely. We want to plant wisely. And uh, we just uh, thank you for this, this story, this true story, and how you can use it even 2,500 years later to speak to our hearts. So speak to our hearts and help us to respond. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.